Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We're going to be discussing something a little touchy. I think Crystal and I are are being like little daredevils with this topic, but I'm excited to actually get into it. Um, We're going to be talking about toxic femininity. And before anybody jumps down our throats, let's keep an open mind and hear (laughs) and please hear us out. Uh, But before we do that, we are definitely going to do our check-ins because that's what we need to do before we start talking about these really heavy topics. So, Crystal, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. This past week was a doozy. Um, I felt like pre-pandemic Crystal always busy, having something going on, no time for rest, and I just was not a fan of, of that. So I feel like this weekend I've been trying to relax, but I'm also wanting to do the things that are meaningful to me. Like I haven't been to the gym in two weeks. So I want to go after we're done here today. Um, you know, I've been dating. Uh, so I want to, you know, like do those things and make new friends and see old friends. And I'm trying to be very intentional about that. But there's also so many other things that I need to worry about and do. So I think like I just feel a little bit just angry at all of the things that take up my time that I don't want to give my time to. Uh, so I'm just trying to figure out what's best for me and deal with things as they come yeah I feel that I'm always angry I'm like yo why can't we just have like an ideal life wake up have some coffee chill go to the gym maybe call somebody yo and then start work um right yeah because this is stressful and then people wonder why we're all so angry at each other (laughs) For real. No, that's so true. Yeah. Um, So I'm. it's funny because we went, Chris and I work at the same place. And Chris and I did go back to work around the same time. And I guess we're both transitioning back and feeling kind of back to quote unquote normal, even though what we were experiencing before was not normal. But this week, I found myself doing so many things. And I'm fucking tired. I'm resentful at the fact that I'm not getting sleep. And... Mm. I'm tired. Like I had something to do every single day. Yesterday I woke up early. Yesterday was a Saturday. Today's a Sunday. Today I woke up at six thirty in the morning because my body's also used to it. But then the yeah. minute I wake up, I'm like, "Yo, you got mad shit to do." So I went to the gym, even if I was tired. And I was like, "Now nah, you gotta get this workout in." And then I have to do this recording, and then I have to go see my mom. And then I want to go to the gynecologist, and I want to do all these things. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. and it's like, "Oh, look at me back to back to normal, acting like I'm a, a robot." And it, mm-hmm. it sucks. And I know I'm going to crash. I'm going to crash. Just wait for it, y'all. I'm going to crash. Well, let's not even wait for it. Let's do something about it now. 
Let's do something yeah. about it. No, I'm serious. Like, maybe you can call your mom instead of going to see her. Like, save yourself, you know, the trip and the energy and take care of yourself. Because that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and I think, like, I'm just kind of struggling to find that balance of, like, where do I push myself and where do I um, not push myself? And that's why I'm, like, trying to be like, okay, well, I want to hang out with my friends. But how do I do it in a way that doesn't feel exhausting to me, too? Mm. So, I don't know. It's weird. It's hard. But. I just see it as, like, one of those peaks where you're like, okay, I got to get over this, and then it's going to get better. I'm being hopeful, everybody, so that's good. So I'm not going to lie. I'm not ready for this conversation because, as Sasha mentioned, we will be talking about toxic femininity, and not in the way that we traditionally think about toxic femininity, but really how women can contribute to toxic masculinity culture so who teaches boys young boys right because they get indoctrinated and taught these things very early the norms of masculinity like Mm. when we talk about toxic masculinity a lot of what we tell men is that they have to hold themselves accountable and each other accountable for their behaviors but a lot of times we don't think about who is teaching men about masculinity and who is also reinforcing those behaviors and the answer is we all are right men are doing it and women are doing it we wanted to take this time to have this conversation is why it's a little spicy to just remind women or just to help them understand the role that they play and how they can also hold themselves accountable for enabling and perpetuating toxic masculinity With that said, I want to be absolutely clear that women are not to be held responsible for the actions of men. Let me repeat. (laughs) I want to be clear. I want to be very, very clear that women are not to be held responsible for the actions of men. However, with this conversation, we want to discuss the ways that women have contributed to the culture of toxic masculinity and how we can support and hold space for men who are willing to heal and to unlearn and to do the work. I'm just going to reiterate it because I think that people have a tendency to just lose sight when their emotions get heightened. Crystal and I are not blaming women or men at that, actually, for these actual toxic dynamics that we have in our society within gender roles. How about that? I like that. Um, (laughs) It is not us that created it. We are just speaking to a piece that we feel is never spoken to, right? So in order to help maybe the audience understand it a little bit, I started thinking about, and and this is the reality of the way my brain works. I always think about the world and people and the way we interact within the context of therapy. Is a person defensive? Little things that I learned in my training. And when you think about women and men, it's a very stereotypical way of thinking about our world, even though we have a lot of other people who don't fit into these roles. So I also want to make that clear. We are speaking within the terms of women and men, like how they do this little game with each other, right? Um, that's one. Two, when you think about anybody in a partnership, whether it's a friendship or a couple, it, whatever the partnership is, you're always going to have a dynamic between these two people. And there's always going to be necessary I guess, skills to hone in on in order to make the dynamic healthy. In, in couples counseling, there's this thing called polarization. And that's when each person gets on one extreme of the argument. So you have person A on the extreme of the way they see things, and then you have person B on the extreme side of the way they see things. And they're not meeting in the middle because they're so fucking fed up with mm-hmm. like just kind of fighting. And, re- and then they get to a point where they're like, 
playing the blame game. Like, you never do mm. this. You don't do that. Mm. And this is all your fault. And this is how I'm viewing this topic, this toxic yeah. masculinity, toxic femininity, because like that immediate reaction to be like, well, I didn't do this. And like, ah, we're mm. polarized right now. So I think the goal is to kind of meet somewhere in the middle and recognize that whenever you're in a dynamic, you have responsibility, period. I absolutely love that. I think that was like so poetic. And <laughs> no, I, I love that explanation. And it's very true. But before we even, I guess, really get into the topic, I do want to take a moment to talk about what toxic masculinity is, right? So it's a belief in our society to conform to gender expectations and norms of what masculinity is. And it's done so in a very rigid and strict way, right? So like when, when Sasha's talking about these extremes, toxic masculinity is at the extreme. So it condones um, the expression of aggression, but ostracizes expressions of emotions. And I think that that's really where the problem comes in, because strength slowly morphs into violence. Assertiveness wraps itself up into entitlement. Stoicism is twisted into like this emotional stuntedness. And ultimately, what happens is that when men don't have the capacity to express freely, well, they end up in the extreme, like Sasha said, and it's a detriment to themselves and those around them. And then the other part that happens is that any man who doesn't conform to the norms of masculinity in its very rigid ways ultimately is ostracized, they're condemned, and it makes it difficult for them to try to come to me in the middle because they're nervous about what society is going to say, what women are going to say just about them in regards to trying to switch the narrative overall. So something that I do want to add to that is that there are a lot of traits of toxic masculinity, and we are going to speak to different examples, but overall there's this idea that you have to be tough, physically strong, emotionally callous, and Chris mm -hmm. spoke to and behaviorally aggressive. And then there's this realm of anti-femininity, right? Like mm -hmm. anything that is feminine in our culture. So think about the way that women show up, kind, emotional, empathic, soft, sweet, loving, um, passive. And there's nothing wrong with being passive, right? There's strength in it too, but it's seen as a weakness. Um, there's a level of power in it, right? You're constantly mm. looking to obtain power and status, whether that's socially, financially. And it, ultimately what it does is it, get, it helps you gain respect as a man. And, I, mm -hmm. and I, I do want to speak to that piece a little bit because I, I'm of the belief that individuals in general, whether however you identify, we're all looking for power and control over our own selves. And I think that things like toxic masculinity and this toxic femininity and the, when things go like astray is due to the fact that we live in a system where we aren't given power and control over our mm -hmm. own selves or that power and control is being removed from us, whether it's removing lack of resources, making us feel like we are not full human beings. And this is systematic at this point. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these things get placed on the individual. And then we as people start pointing the finger, right? That polarization piece, we play the blame game. Like, oh, look what you did. Look what you did. And we're not looking at the bigger picture of, no, look what happened to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you were talking, I was like, the patriarchy, right? And who maintains yeah. power in the main patriarchy and what happens to people who don't have power right and no one ever wants to be in a position where they don't have power because we see how they're treated i actually read this article um 
in the Washington Post, written by Monica Hess. And in one of the articles, she wrote about how the American Psychological Association was releasing guidelines on how mental health professionals should treat men in therapeutic settings. So in the article, she stated that historically speaking, men are perceived as the default. And that's because of patriarchy. That's exactly related to what Sasha was just saying. Um, So basically, because they're perceived as the default, they're almost like un they don't need any sort of individuated study because they're almost like the standard. A lot of times in psychology or mental health fields, the focus has always been on groups that are other, like women, people of color, LGBTQ community, and you know, other marginalized communities. So I think that now for many reasons, um, because we now have language for toxic masculinity. We're on social media. Everyone's throwing it around like it's it's the hot word, the hot mm-hmm. the hot topic to to talk about. But also, I think partially because of the Me Too movement, where men are now being held very accountable to their actions in ways that feel extreme, but maybe are not all that extreme. Um, that we are we're at a point where we're holding up mirrors to young boys and men um, and addressing their behavior. And I think it's not something that this is the first time, but I think that we're seeing maybe a shift or at least some sort of consequence for the ways that men show up. Um, And what I liked about the APA's guidelines um, or what she mentioned about them in the article is that it addresses men's suicide rates, academic challenges, the harsh punishments that they receive in school. And it attributes all of these things to the traditional norms of masculinity as we see it now, um, where like, you know, like probably we're talking about, they need to be stoic, dominant, aggressive, competitive, and it's taking its toll on them. Of course, when she wrote the article, the men in the comments were very upset um, by what she was saying. Um, But she ended up actually writing a subsequent article due to the comments that she received in that particular article. So the men felt attacked because they felt like they were being blamed for toxic masculinity, Mm. of course. And then they were basically explaining in the article that a lot of the things that they were taught about masculinity was from women in their lives, like their moms, teachers, their wives. So it made her think about just basically what we're talking about today um, and Mm. how women in very subtle ways that women send the same message about boys should boys boys will be boys men don't cry boys don't cry toughen up you know one of the one of the comments um i didn't see it myself but she wrote about it in the subsequent article was how um, a woman came to her husband she was experiencing some challenges and she started crying and then he opened up about his own challenges and he started crying and the wife walked out of the room Wow. And it basically sent the message and it was very loud and clear. She didn't say a word, but the message was very loud and clear that he cannot cry, that that is a sign of weakness and that she will not hold space for it. She will not address it. um, And that's not accepted in their marriage. You know, I'm so happy that you said that because I I did want to start speaking a little bit to how we perpetuate toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. And ladies, even if you are like 100% uh, human rights and you're like, no, men should have feelings, blah, blah, blah. I really want you to sit and think about when you're single or when you were single, right? 
Um, and you obviously are looking for a single man to get along with. I already feel like you coming for me. I'm, like, I'm starting to feel attacked. I'm like, oh my god. No, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I'm part of the problem too, and I'll I'll admit it. I'll admit it. Yo, me ahead. too. Me too. A hundred percent. And it's so hard to break out of these systems because, like I said, it's being done to all of us, not just in like individuals doing it to each other, right? Mm-hmm. So let's keep that in mind. Um, let's have a healthy conversation. So. Think about when you go out on like the first date um, and the guy doesn't offer to pay. Yo, don't we want equality? And I'm not, and this is touchy, right? But we say we want equality and we say we want to be treated a certain way and we say we want the, the same rights, but then we tend to do these little things where I'm like, where we're like, yeah, but we want this in a man, but we want that in a man. And like, so for example, if the guy doesn't pay, it's like, okay, I can tolerate it. But what if he doesn't ever offer to pay, even if it's a thirty dollar bill? <laughs> like okay, <laughs> shade, okay, because <laughs> that's just literally coming for me because I went on a date with this guy, and and this and this is this is why I say that I'm also part of the problem, and I'm definitely like even though we're talking about this, I'm I'm not separating myself. Like I'm this bigger woman of some sort I'm calling myself out in this conversation as well I went on a date with the guy and the bill was $30 and I didn't actually even look at the bill before it came like once it hit the table I didn't look at it but I remembered from like we were trying to find the restaurant and a place to eat and when we sat down he was like oh do you want to get small plates like he just seemed very into the small plates and I was like I don't know if this means like he can't afford a meal or if maybe he's just really into what's in the menu, but I just kind of went along with it. And I normally, I I used to always ask, do you want to split the bill? Right. Because, because of what Sasha said about being, you know, uh, a feminist and equal rights. But I'm like, I like, if I'm being honest with you, I don't want to pay this bill. Like, so I kind of (laughs) stopped asking, but with this particular guy, I was like, I don't know what it is, like why. And I was like, maybe he was concerned. And I didn't actually even remember the price of anything on the menu. I particularly wasn't worried about it. But when I asked him, do you want to split the bill? He said yes. And then when I see the charge on my card, I was like, this was $15, which means that the whole bill was $30. And I was like, you can't pay a $30 bill? Like, what's like what's up with that? And it was a bit of a turnoff. And I think like... You know, like, even as we're having this conversation, I'm like, oh, like, I'm still feeding into it. And I, I'm having a hard time, I'm going to be perfectly honest, trying to make sense of maybe not having a hard time, because I know where it comes from, but having a hard time reconciling what this means for me moving forward, right? Because I did feel uncomfortable by it, um, by the fact that he actually took me up on my offer, Um but I don't know. I Yeah, I think I'm still processing that. You know, I don't think that we have to feel any kind of way about it, right? Like, I think that um, when we talk about equality and when we talk about wanting to have men see us as their equals, I've never agreed with it, to be quite honest with you. Yo, I am the first woman to, like, just call a guy and be like, yo, can you do this for me? And yo, I love it. I love it because guess what? If I need something fixed in the house and I need something to be done, yo, I'm, you better believe I'm going to say thank you so much, baby. 
um, to my partner, obviously. I'm going to go do my nails. And I can't wait till I get back and you finished it. And thank you. Because I do believe that there are certain things that men do and women do and it's not equal. Right. And I'm I I'm OK with it. Um, what I think I'm looking for is a little more respect within regards to what it is that I do and how I show up, because it's not going to look the same. But I want respect just noticing that it is different. Right. And it is hard and it's not easy just because it doesn't look like what you're doing. So I hear what you're saying. Um, I don't know that I necessarily feel like. I, I think gender norms are BS to a certain degree. Um, I don't think that necessarily because a man is a man, he is better equipped to change a light bulb, put something up on the wall. I think it's about choice. Um, uh, 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 and this is maybe, um, I don't know, maybe like an incomplete thought on my part, but I think it is to me a little bit about choice. Like I'm choosing to show up as feminine. I'm choosing to play into certain norms of femininity because that's what I want for myself. I like it. And I think a while ago, um, a long while ago, I had spoken in one of our episodes about I don't want to feel obligated, like in the Latinx community, like women have to serve their men, right? Mm-hmm. Like their their food. I don't want to feel obligated to serve my man food. Like I don't want that norm to be placed on me. I want to choose it. To, to me, the issue is when people are forced to do those things. Because I think like yeah. if a man doesn't know how to fix something, his value is diminished as a person. Or I think if a woman doesn't get her nails done and always look presentable or she's more aggressive, right? That seemed like as a male trait, then that's, I think that's for me where the problem is um, in terms of what, what the norms are, if that makes sense. You know, I completely agree with you. And I think that this is where the conversation becomes lopsided because I hear more about women's choice, at least within like society, than I do about a man's choice, a man's choice to not adhere to those roles that you're talking about. Right. Because what happens when a man doesn't want to be the breadwinner and his wife is the one making the most money and he's the one taking care of the kids and being at home when you ask a woman and I'm and I am generalizing out here, but. Most women have it in their minds that they need to be protected and that their man mm-hmm. needs to be the one making them more money, even if you make more money. Right. Like, how do we resolve those two things, mm-hmm. especially now in this day? And this is not mine. This is uh, uh, this is my partner's point of view, because he also feels very strongly about this, uh, especially now in this day and age where women, particularly women of color, are outpacing men of color within the work place they're making more money they're trying to figure out how to have power and control they're doing it and their male counterparts within their their culture aren't necessarily up to their speed right so are they okay with a man being a good man and staying home and having a job that's not as equal to their job and even me that feels weird like me and i and i really want to believe i'm open-minded but i'm not these are roles that men actually used to play. And now we're taking on those roles. And instead of the dynamic shifting, we're up in the, the stakes for mm. them. And we're saying, you got to meet me more than where I was, than where I am now, period. And that's a lot. That's a lot of pressure. I agree. No, I, I definitely agree. 
Yeah, and I think that, so this reminds me of, I had um, an ex uh, from a long time ago, and he was very emotional, and he would cry. If he was, if he was feeling something, he would cry, and I think for me. I wanted to giggle when you said that. (laughs) (laughs) It's horrible, but this is, this is why we need to have the conversation, because it's so internalized. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, And for me, like, sometimes it would upset me when he cried. But I realized now it wasn't because he was crying. It was because he would do it a lot. And I was like, bruh, like, you are very emotional. And this is a lot to deal with. Um, But the crying itself didn't bother me because I did appreciate the fact that we could have heart-to-heart conversations, right? Like, it didn't feel like I had to hide anything from him. And it didn't feel like he had to hide anything from me. But what I will say is, when I tell you everybody in my life, always had a comment about the fact that he was so emotional and it just made it so difficult for me to like I mean back then I also wasn't in the place emotionally and like intellectually that I am now but it just made it so difficult for me to like defend him like what do I say like I like I felt like I was kind of like taking the L for Mm. for his behaviors and I didn't have the words to you know, like kind of like defend him or defend myself because it was like, not only are you all, I don't want to say making fun of him, but making comments about how he shows up. But now I also am on the receiving end of it. And then people are making judges about me and the man that I chose for myself um, in mm-hmm. that relationship. Yeah. And like, and, and in my mind, if you are pro- choice with everybody right and I'm not challenging you Crystal I'm challenging the way that we think within these roles you are going to say fuck that that's my man and I love him and da 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 but that pressure of the outside world and oh my god how do they see me and then also some of our internalized stuff trust me because I've been there done that is going to play a role in how you start to see your man and how eventually you start to see him as less than a man. So I also feel for men because it's like, I just feel like they don't have many options out here. And we, and we as women are also perpetuating that. Like when you think about like on social media, like the shit that gets attention, especially when guys post things, right? Like these very viral videos, yo, that's some toxic ass fucking shit. And then, Like, and then we, we idealize these things like, yo, he's a man, blah, blah, blah. No, he's a fucking underdeveloped child. That's what I see. Say it louder. Say it again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the reality is that he looks good. The reality Mm. is that he is, uh, his appearance is physically strong. And he is doing things in an aggressive and also toxic way, asserting his power in ways that women eat up. We do. And we are perpetuating that. We're saying, that's what I want. And then when you have other men who are intelligent, who are breadwinners, or they can love you the right way, and they're good men, we're just throwing them to the curb like, Mm -hmm. oh, but you don't have X, Y, Z, which is why I say that we're not giving them a lot of options because we're out here picking and choosing that we like, oh, I want this, 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 and this. And then we overvalue the shit that has no meaning. No, I I absolutely agree. And I think it's tough to be in that situation because I think you have to have a lot of confidence in the way that you show up. Well, first of all, mm-hmm. you have to have done your own work, right? To mm-hmm. understand what the norms of masculinity are, how they were internalized, and then to do the work to undo or like 
unpack all of those things. Then decide how do you want to show up as a man that's true to you and that you feel comfortable and confident in those things. And then I think you have to also have the thick skin, like you said, to to then go out into the world and defend. I don't maybe defend is not the right word, but kind of like stand your ground and say, like, this is who I am. And I'm not wavering. I don't care what you say. And I think that that's a lot of work um, during a time where it feels like the attacks are coming from all sides. Yeah. And then and then we because we see it as an individual thing, we start to expect the individual to be able to do that all by themselves when Mm. in reality we're all involved. And that's just a lot of pressure. And I'm not condoning the behavior. Right. But I also can understand and empathize objectively why men as a whole, as a a gender and with all these pressures, they kind of start to tap out and then they start to become the fucking dicks of the world. They start to, and I'm not condoning it again. Hold on, hold on. This is not okay. (laughs) They start to become dicks. They start to kind of like do this like 180, right? Of like, well, you know what? I showed up this way, but fuck you because I'm trying and you don't care. And now I'm just going to be out. And I'm not saying this is to every specific situation. I'm saying just overall as a whole and the way gender roles play themselves out in society. As I've been thinking about the guy and the whole like $30 bill, I've been thinking about like, how did I, why did I feel that way? And I think that there is a part of me that in growing up, I felt like no one took care of me and I had to be hyper independent. So I think that there is a part of me that wants to rely on someone else to take care of me. But I think that's my own shit. Like, you know, um, because I feel like growing up, I didn't have anyone who cared for me in meaningful ways. And then I think society said, well, this is how a man cares for you. He pays for you. He protects you. He, um, you know, like is the breadwinner. And I think like maybe we need to redefine what it is that we actually need from our partners. And where did we learn that we needed those things from? I remember I was at a... um, a conference of some sort and there was a Dominican woman who had talked about her like career transition and she worked in a very high stress job that kind of had her on call most of the time and she had transitioned out of that um and now she's working in a corporate setting and she's has her own business and she's making well over six figures she admitted there that her husband stays home with the kids because at this point between working in corporate her and her high paying salary but also her other job that kind of had her on 24 seven, she needed someone that was going to be more consistent in the home because a lot of the things that normally she would do in terms of like cleaning, taking care of the kids and taking them to school and stuff like that were becoming stressful for her and were getting in the way of her being able to succeed. So she, you know, like had a conversation with her husband and now he stays home. And I think that she had to reevaluate what her needs are. And she's a Dominican woman. So let me tell mm. you, machismo in Latinx culture, I feel like it's toxic masculinity squared because that shit is next level. Um, <laughs> Yo, uh, it's such a real thing. And the women, especially in Latinx culture, period. Ooh, Yo. Yes, they definitely, you know, they we joke around about how Dominican mothers be babying their sons, but with every just kidding, there's a little bit of truth. Uh, so, 
Yeah, um, it's it's not a lie. And I remember she had mentioned that she had to have a lot of conversations with her family. So then you also kind of like in breaking out of those norms have to do, like I said about men, you just have to do so much work to kind of like get everyone else to accept your decisions. which And not emasculate you. And not yeah. emasculate you. Because a woman can have a high-paying job and, yo, fucking good for her. She's on her shit. She's a boss bitch. How ma- Like, all these terms that we have for women. But a man, if he chooses the opposite, is like, yo, I hear it. He's a pussy. He's a sissy. He's this. He's mm. that. He's And this is why toxic masculinity is anti-feminine. So it's mm-hmm. it's hard. Like, what? <laughs> yo, I feel for our men. Like, so the reason that we actually decided to do this is because Crystal... Uh, noticed in the Men in Therapy episode with Ramon Garcia that his mom was perpetuating these stereotypes of what a man should be. And he spoke to it a little bit in that episode and how his mom would hit him and then tell him, don't cry. And how he mm-hmm. had to try and be strong so that he needed to prove to his mom that he was a man. So these are these, these are the ways that women just kind of like perpetuate it. And, and then... We don't recognize on the flip side when we're not being treated equal, we become victimized in this dynamic. And then we place all the blame on men. And then we want them to talk about their feelings, but don't not too much. So, yo, like we are mm. putting them between a rock and a hard place. And I'm not just saying women. I mean, we as in society, they are in a between they are literally between a rock and a hard place. And I think that it is everyone's responsibility to help get them out of there because, yo, that shit must be fucking hard. Mhm. Yeah, and I would say I think also um the ways that mothers or aunts, grandmas, whatever speak to both young boys and young girls. So like something like if if someone picks on you, hit them, right? Like when mm. when um young boys are experiencing bullying or something like that, the response is to um counteract with the aggression. Um but I also feel like the messages that are not even given to young men, but are given to, to girls. So things like, you know, if a boy hits you, that means he likes you, which is mm-hmm. insinuating that instead of using his words to say how he feels, he can show some sort of like physical like act or, you know, when we, when people say like women need to stay in their place or like, um, you know, like when we see on TV, like they have to, you know, women have to stay home. They have to cook, they have to clean. So, no matter who you're talking to, like we are building the foundation for what the gender norms are. So I think like sometimes it's not even just about the messages that we send to men, but about the ways that we, you know, like if you have a a boy and a girl in the house, right? Mm -hmm. We socialize them. How they're socialized. And and I don't want to speak too much to it because I don't know about it as much as I would feel comfortable like speaking about it on the podcast. But I think also when we talk about um, like the LGBTQ community where like gay boys are sissies and things like that and how a lot of older generations are maybe confused or don't want to accept the fluidity, especially of Gen Z and how they don't subscribe to these norms. And you'll see uh, a man wearing a dress or or dressing up or, you know, like that identifies as non-binary. And I think like people have such a hard time wrapping their minds out of something that they can't put in a box. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. And because of the fact that we're speaking to this inability to 
wrap our minds around giving men a little more leeway in their sense of expression. And I don't mean with fluidity. I just mean their sense of expression, literally, um, what they want to do and what they like instead of boxing them in this, this very small set standard of what a man should be. Because we don't do that, um, like, so if you think about when you don't have freedom of expression, right, and you think back to polarization, a lot of resentment gets built up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of countercultures get brought up because of it. And I don't know how much people know about this, um, quote unquote, red pill movement amongst men. And I do want to speak to it a little bit because this is the epitome of toxic masculinity. But I do think it, it came out of uh, a system where they weren't allowed to speak their truth. So they found a way to speak their truth. So essentially what the red pill movement is, and it does come from the matrix, right? Like, you know, you make a choice, mm-hmm. like how do you want to live? They are considered men rights activists. So what they are <laughs> saying, and I don't agree with it, but it's interesting to me, but what they are saying is that they are of the realization that men do not hold systematic power or privilege. So it's literally a complete counteract to what it is that we're talking about with respect to privilege and power, right? Um, And they're saying, actually, no, we know the truth. And the truth is that um, socially, economically, and sexually, men are at the whims of women, quote unquote, feminists, of their power and their desires. And this is the blame game that I was talking about earlier. There's a lot of documentaries, not a lot, but there's enough documentaries to get men on this fucking bag wagon. You think about, uh, what's this guy's name? Kevin... Kevin Samuels. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, God, I can't stand. And it's funny because I'm the one asking for his name. You think about Kevin Samuels and the message that he's spreading to women and how women should be in their place and, you know, how this is what a man does and that's what a woman does. And, like, they, there's these very, like, um, archaic way of seeing gender roles. And they come out of this movement of, I don't have any power, I feel powerless. I feel like I need to do something about it. I'm going to gain that back. And I think that these movements happen because of the fact that we don't give room for that expression. So it's kind of like cancel culture. You start canceling out everything that doesn't feel right to you, then you're just going to have inevitably a a pushback so that people can be heard. Because remember, people are always looking for power and control. So how are you going to find it? Right. Um, And I think that also um, in regards to Kevin Samuels, I see... I don't want to say a lot of his content, but some commentary about his content on uh, Twitter. And they talk about, like, the women who call in, like, there's, like, this very, like, like slang term called, they're, like, pick me's, which basically is, like, pick me, pick me, pick me. I will conform to the ways that you see women and the roles that women are supposed to play because, I don't want to say that they're desperate, but, like, there's this, like very deep rooted need for them to be chosen like by a man to be mm. accepted to be wanted to be in a relationship i think just to be in a relationship period like i don't even i'm just trying to think like what are the benefits of this relationship and i'm like i think they just want to be with a the man they don't want to be alone um and they you know i mean granted like i feel like pick me is I don't want to say a derogatory term, but it's not a very nice term. But I think yeah. that that's also another way that women play into it. Because sometimes when I see these women and they're, they're, I'm like, girl, like, why? Like, it's not worth it. Like, don't, don't want so desperately to be chosen by a man who holds on to these norms. Like, there are better men out there. Please, like, no, don't do that. 
there are better men out there and I completely agree with that and I think that we're losing sight and we're also kind of overvaluing like I said the the ones that are not so good because I've done it in the past um Mm. like the fuck boy why are we always attracted to the fuck boy not the good guy uh I will say I'm not attracted to the fuck boy but I also don't always choose the good guy so I feel like that's why I've been single for so long because I'm in limbo (laughs) I, I need to learn how to like the good guy well, that's the thing. You have to unlearn the shit that has been given to us, right? And it's not, mm-hmm. and, and we, we usually have a tendency of thinking, oh, this is natural. It's not. It's been, we've been socializing this, right? So, and going back to your point, I think that women also engage in this because if you really think about it, you think about the, the basic structure of it. We're social beings. We want partnership. We don't want to be alone. How do we find that in a world that is so limited in its pursuit, right? In the, in the, in the description of the pursuit of finding that for yourself. If you don't mm-hmm. fit certain roles, if you don't fit the model, how do you get exactly. that out of that? And this is how these counter cultures and movements are produced, in my opinion, because people are mm-hmm. just looking for a voice in this world where they feel very powerless. Absolutely. All right. So I do have one thing to say to women. Uh, those who identify as women, and those who play out gender roles within that structure. When I was searching what toxic femininity is, I was surprised that there wasn't a lot of writing on this particular topic that Chris and I are discussing, how we perpetuate the masculine, the negative parts of what masculinity is in our society. Um, But what did come up were the very basic way, not the basic, the stereotypical ways that women show up as women within our environment and how that's toxic to our own selves and to other people, right? So if you think about the way women are seen as passive or passive aggressive, right? And how people just have to eat that shit because we're not being overtly aggressive. We're just kind of defending ourselves and how that looks in a context. Like think about work when you're being passive aggressive, you're not being very fair and then you get called out on it and then you say, oh, that was aggressive, that was direct, because you're being covert and then someone's being overt, and then Mm -hmm. you still have a little bit of power in that passivity, right? Because it it Mm -hmm. feels nicer. Um, How about the way we treat each other as women? Um, The competition, the cattiness. Yo, that shit starts early. Like, I remember Mm -hmm. when I was in the fifth grade, never forget it, these little girls pretended to be my friend. For what? For what? Like, they could have easily told me, Sasha, I don't like you. And that's cool because I don't, I, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. But <laughs> why would they do that? Why are they so... And, and, and I don't blame those little girls. I think about their mothers. And I think about what they've seen. And I think about mm-hmm. how we, we learn these roles from other people. And why is it that women are allowed to be vicious is what we are. We're mm-hmm. malicious. We're manipulative. We're, we're mean. And that we can get... A, and why we can get away with it. Why is it that women, if you had a reaction to this term toxic femininity, why did you have a reaction as if you can do no wrong? Because the reality is we are doing a lot of wrong to each other in this world, to our men. With And it, you really have to look at yourself and start evaluating who you want to be and if it lines up with what you say your values and beliefs are. Yeah, and I think that reminds me of a lot of women who are like, I don't have female friends or I don't have women friends. I only have male friends. And it's because of those exact behaviors of toxic femininity. And granted, I think that in their resistance to show up in ways or seek out other women who are healthy, maybe also speaks to their own toxic femininity that's ingrained and maybe 
not as obvious, but I think that mm-hmm. um, that's also a piece of it of like now we are aligning ourselves with like men and almost giving them more power uh, over us as well yes. in that way too, because yeah. we're not always as united <laughs> as we should be. Absolutely. And that is toxic femininity in and of itself. And that's how we perpetuate these you these ideas of the world where we don't want men treating us like that. But in order to get power, we're doing the exact same thing. So where's the line? Right. Where's the line? Where do, like how do we make change within this this system? So I'm so happy you said that. And I think uh, just to bring in the cultural piece a little bit, too, um, you know, we talk a lot. Well, people talk a lot about machismo, but there is um, this, I guess, the the toxic femininity equivalent um, in Latinx culture, which is called Marianismo, uh, which refers also to the ideal role that women play at home, especially within machismo. Um, so, and it's rooted actually in Christianity, um, because Marianismo describes a woman who should be pure, pious self-sacrificing oh my god self-sacrificing that one killed me um and the attribute that best the attributes that a woman possesses that best benefit the family is putting the husband over herself and uh, of course when you think about marianismo and machismo which is you know the same as toxic masculinity they kind of feed into each other and i think it, it kind of goes back to what Sasha was saying earlier in the episode about the polarization um, Mm -hmm. of both genders. I think men impose it on women and then women impose it on men as well. The same message we've been saying. We're doing it to each other. Absolutely. And I feel like I'm going to get some some shade, not some shade, some fucking outright uh, objection to this. But the way I think about it sometimes and the way it plays out, especially now, in particular with dating... When women don't want to fall into this stereotype of the the Marianismo, what you just explained, right? Pure, pious, uh, devotion to the man. We out here, we can do whatever we want with our bodies. And I'm not saying you cannot. I'm not claiming that. But we we hold a lot of pride in doing what we want and liberation and, and feeling like we, we have this power and control over our own selves. But then when we want a man, we go right back to this Marianismo machismo dynamic, mm. expecting the man to be a certain way. And we don't like it if the man comes back at us saying, yo, how many people did you sleep with? I don't like that you did that. And we reject it immediately and we say, well, I could do whatever I want. Not understanding that when we go back and we say we want a boyfriend, we say we want a lifelong partner, he's going to feel some kind of way because he's also playing out these dynamics within his own self. And we don't leave room for that conversation sometimes. Does that make sense? Ooh, I feel like I'm going to get so much shit for this. Um, but it has to be said because I think that we're not thinking about our actions long term, right? Because we do want power and control. And we're not understanding how it plays out within this dynamic of men and women that we also enable. Yeah, I think the, well, I, I so lovingly call it the whole phase. Um, not that women are hoes, but I think it's just like colloquialism, um, right? Uh, and I think that, I, I feel like for me, um, when we talk about women who are like more promiscuous, I'm going to do whatever I want. I think it is a direct result. It's a direct response to, I don't want to be, you know, pious and self-sacrificing and pure. Like I want to just do whatever I want. 
And I think that there are some women that feel extremely empowered in being sexual beings. And I think that there are women who are playing into that narrative, not realizing that it's not um, innate in who they are and their personalities and how they want to show up in the world, but rather a response to not wanting to be pure. Yeah. It is, it's almost like an acting out, like, right? Like when, mm-hmm. when a child feels restricted, they'll act out. Or when they're feeling, their feelings get bottled up, it's, it's like an acting out type of thing. Because Crystal and I both identify as women in this world, we understand that our perspective is a little biased and it's just inevitable and that's just our life experience. So I do think it's important for men to start having these conversations, these very open conversations. Um, And I do think it's important for the world and society and women too, to allow them to have these conversations and to be open-minded and not to... to just quickly cancel it out because I have this feeling like this is what we've been doing for a while. When a man wants to speak up, when a man wants to express something that's not within that box, we just kind of like, it's like a castration, so to speak, mm-hmm. especially within this man role. And I will say I've, I've heard there are a lot of spaces online um, and we follow some of those on our, on our page and maybe for Instagram, I will, promote some of those pages where it's like men meditate therapy for men men also cry like um that there are online spaces um where you can have those conversations because i know sometimes it may be difficult if you don't feel like the men within your circle are able to have those conversations finding community elsewhere so you at least begin to process for your own self what toxic masculinity is what feelings come about making sure that you find a space where you don't feel alone that you see that other men are also in a position to kind of switch and change the narrative up for themselves and I feel like women should also maybe be having these conversations um about like what does well one what does toxic femininity mean to them but two um are they being true to Uh, what they say because I feel like a Mm. lot of times women speak very mixed messages because as a society we say we want men to be more emotional we don't want um, toxic masculinity to continue to control the way that we move that men move around in this world but then again like similar to that to that example that I gave earlier in the episode if a man cries you're wincing and you're making a face or I know sometimes for me when when a man cries I'm like what do I do like how do you even comfort a man because I think like I just haven't even really like truly seen it for myself that it's kind of Mm. like I don't know what to do and I think that um when someone speaks you know I think we need to be mindful of the overt messages that we sent um and also like even the subtle like body language and the shifts and the changes um that we say and I think we also need to be honest about Mm. the fact that you know we we say we don't want toxic masculinity but that we're also struggling to break out of the norms of what that means for us as a society because I know I'll speak for myself I am 100% against toxic masculinity, but I know I have a lot more work to do to end it overall, like as a, as a thing that we um, continue to play out in society. First of all, that was so beautiful, boo. Honestly. Thank you. Uh, Second, it reminded me of something that I always say. And in my work, I work with young men of color and a lot of them ask me, why do you do this work? And I always tell them, I said, because A, there's not a lot of spaces for men of color in particular to have these conversations. And B, 
if I'm expecting myself to be the best version of myself, I cannot be that without my counterpart. And my counterpart is men in this world. And we are tied together. Um, And I'm speaking, again, within heteronormative standards. And without men getting better and without me helping them, I don't see it resolving itself. Or at least, and I don't know if we can resolve it, but more so just having real open and honest conversations. Um, because that's that's where we need to start. Yeah. And I would say um, something that I'm trying to be very intentional is with my nephew, not my blood nephew, but he's my baby, um, to when I when I speak to him, to speak to him in ways that don't necessarily influence him one way or the other. I'm sure I've done it accidentally in some sort of way because I'm not perfect. But I always, you know, say like, you're so beautiful. Like you have a wonderful spirit. Like, and I, I don't think that these are things that we say to to little boys, you know, like I, I love your smile and, you know, like things that are just very gender neutral or sometimes I'm like, oh, like when he gets a girlfriend and I'm like, or a boyfriend or anyone that he, you know, like, <laughs> or anyone that he falls in love with, you know what uh-huh. I'm saying? Like, um, you know, trying to like catch myself in those moments to not um, place on him things that are not his to hold. Cause that's my shit. Um, and I want him to make those decisions for himself. Um, so I would also say like, you know, like if you are around children, um, also be very intentional about the things that you say and the ways that you show up mm. around them. Yeah, I have nothing to say to that. Fucking amazing. Beautiful. <laughs> Uh, so with that said, uh, I know this conversation was a little spicy, uh, <laughs> but I hope that you all were able to understand our perspective and where we were coming from and begin to do the work to unlearn our own biases and the ways that we have contributed to toxic masculinity, toxic femininity. And I think that the sooner that we begin to unpack those things, the sooner we will be able to heal and exist in a society that doesn't impede on us Mm. our true authentic selves so if this episode resonated with you please make sure to email us at never told this pod at gmail.com and definitely make sure to follow us on tiktok and instagram at never told this pod and don't forget to come back next week so we can tell you what they never told us